Today's scripture reading is 1 Chronicles 16, 8 through 36, and Theo is going to help me start it off. Give praise to the Lord, proclaim his name, make known among the nations what he has done, sing to him, sing praise to him, tell him of his wonderful acts. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Look to the Lord with strength. Seek his face always. Remember the wonders he has done, his miracles and the judgments he has proclaimed. You, his servants, the descendants of Israel, his chosen ones, the children of Jacob. He is the Lord our God, and his judgments are on all the earth. He remembers his covenant forever, the promise he made for a thousand generations, the covenant he made with Abraham, the oath he swore to Isaac. He confirmed it to Jacob as a decree, to Israel as an everlasting covenant. To you I will give the land of Canaan as the portion you will inherit. When they were but few in number, few indeed, and strangers in it, they wandered from nation to nation, from one kingdom to another. He allowed no one to oppress them, and for their sake he rebuked kings. Do not touch my anointed ones. Do my prophets no harm. Sing to the Lord all the earth and proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among people. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods, for all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and joy are his dwelling place. Ascribe to the Lord all you families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name and bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. The world is firmly established and it cannot be moved. Let the heavens rejoice and let the earth be glad. Let them say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Let the sea resound and all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Let the trees of the forest sing, and let them sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. Pray. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Share, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Cry out, save us, God, for God our Savior. Gather us and deliver us from the nations that we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. Praise to the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Then and all, all of the people, people said, Amen, Amen and, and praise, praise the, the Lord. Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Passage of scripture. Uh, right, right in the center of um, everything that's going on with Israel that we've talked about uh, over the fall, uh, and, and uh, you know, I, I just wonder, um, just to get us in the thinking about what this is really all about. Think back to to your wedding, or or perhaps the wedding of a family member or a friend that you took took part in planning. Uh, do you remember the anticipation, the excitement, the nerves, uh, the preparation? Is the dress ready? Are the family members in town? Where's the photographer? Who has the rings? Is the pastor going to show up? 
and will they remember to keep the sermon short? Uh, most of us are not likely to attend a celebration like the one that this great song was sung during when the Ark of the Lord, this very uh, a manifestation, this, this presence of God is coming into Jerusalem where, where it really belongs in the rightful center of the community. Uh, but weddings might be perhaps the celebrations that most of us will experience that carry the same kind of emotional and spiritual weight uh, to them uh, for us personally and for the communities, uh, the, uh, for our communities, much like the people of Israel would have felt uh, with the ark returning. So let me ask you to dig a little deeper into your memory of your, the, the wedding that you attended or the, that was your wedding back to maybe uh, uh, before uh, the wedding uh, to, to the memories that carry farther back to the, maybe the search for a spouse. Uh, or to the dating relationships, or the ups and downs, the times of hope and failure, loss, expectation. Are they the one? Uh, do they like me? Uh, two steps forward, one step back. Uh, will this relationship come to be? Will it last? Will it survive my own sinful heart and actions? Uh, or will it survive theirs? <laughs> uh, will it lead to a celebration and covenant of marriage or not? Um, as we've studied through these Old Testament passages through this fall, just kind of like the wedding stories that are in our minds as we're thinking about the whole, whole trajectory, uh, Israel didn't suddenly arrive at this point of celebration, right? Um, the Ark of the Lord had been lost to the enemy. Uh, it had been recaptured and then lost again. Uh, and Israel even tried to bring the Ark of, into the city of Jerusalem before, but they tried to do that on their own trust and in their own strength. Uh, and by failing to seek the Lord in that moment and not trusting in his word, uh, they'd experienced disastrous and humiliating consequences trying to accomplish uh, this great vision of this celebration on their own. Uh, we even see uh, in the chapter before this uh, that David, uh, in, his, in his repentance, he, he takes time to prepare a place for the ark and seek the Lord. And he says, it was because uh, you, uh, you, the Levites, did not bring it up the first time that the Lord our God broke out in anger against us. Uh, we did not inquire of him how to do it in the prescribed way. And so the priests and the Levites consecrated themselves in order to bring up the ark of the Lord um, to the God of Israel. And, and the Levites carried the ark of God with the poles on their shoulders as Moses, Moses had commanded in accordance with the word of the Lord. So if you remember back before, they, they had not been doing it in the prescribed way. But now uh, you've got David and you've got the, the people of Israel saying, we're going we're gonna to really seek out, we're going to find out how to do this. Um, we're going to seek the Lord uh, and not do it on our own strength. So the table set. Uh, the ark is brought into Jerusalem amidst the joyful celebration of thousands of people. Uh, and here in the middle of chapter 16 is this incredible song that we just heard read. Uh, and it's like this anticipated moment in the wedding when the couple finally takes their vows uh, and the whole community rises up in affirmation to congratulate them and to say, we're going to stand with you. One, one commentator says, this, this psalm of thanksgiving commemorating the installation of the ark in Jerusalem, in one sense, is the theological center of the chronicler's reading of Israel's history. The installation of the ark marks Israel's return to God under David's leadership and the renewal of the nation's covenant loyalty to the God of their ancestors. This is the song that reminds the people of Israel 
of the covenant that God had already made with them. In other words, there's great depth to this moment of celebration, just like there would be in, in weddings that we attend. Uh, and this song is an anchor, it's a clarifying uh, part of uh, Israel remembering their identity in the Lord. And it gives them great freedom to understand God's purposes for the whole world and to act on them. So what does this all mean for us today? Uh, for personally, within our community, uh, if anybody knows uh, Richard Foster, he uh, famously wrote the book Celebration of Discipline that many, many have read, but he says that celebration uh, is at the heart of the way of Christ. Celebration brings joy into life and joy makes us strong. And I'll say that again, that celebration is at the heart of the way of Christ and celebration brings joy into life and joy makes us strong. So how can we find the same depth of, of joy in our own lives, in our own identity that we carry? Um, I, I think this song and by extension at the very concept of celebration has a lot to say to us about how do I, I, I understand this depth of identity and purpose. Uh, but it's, Foster also said it's important to avoid the kind of celebrations that really celebrate nothing. Worse yet is to pretend to celebrate when the spirit of celebration is not in us. Said our children watch us bless the food and promptly proceed to gripe about it, uh, blessings that are not blessings. And one of the things that nearly destroys children is being forced to be grateful when they're not grateful. If we pretend an air of celebration, our inner spirit is put in contradiction. Uh, last year, around this time when I was preaching, I, I was preaching on gentleness, and this year I'm preaching on celebration and joy. And the irony for me is that if any of you know me, those who know me best probably know that these are not areas that I excel at in life. Uh, the Spirit has a lot more work to do on my heart in these areas for fruit to see fruit really begin to grow. And yet, I think maybe it's because of these limitations in my life that have, they've forced me to dive a little bit deeper into these topics on a personal level. So uh, the things I have to share about them today, um, about how, how maybe we grow deeper roots in the celebration and joy of our life, I'm bringing from other people um, here, but happy to pass them along. Uh, one of my first questions here uh, of us is, uh, are we seeking the Lord? Uh, so when we're talking about how, to, how, how do we have this life of joy and depth uh, of celebration, uh, the first question is, are we seeking the Lord? Uh, one of the big differences that we see between David's unsuccessful attempt to bring the Ark of Jerus to, to Jerusalem uh, and the second is that he sought the Lord. And from all indications, he really, really went after this. He sought the Lord. And even in the psalm, we hear the admonition, search for the Lord and for his strength and continually seek him. Elsewhere in scripture, we hear this same thing. Jesus himself says to seek first the kingdom of God, to ask, seek, and knock, and the door will be open to you. And it's not a contradiction to saying that God pursues us uh, to say that we need to seek him. In Jeremiah, God tells his exiled people, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, uh, to give you a future and a hope. But then he also says, then you will call upon me and you will come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. So why, why is seeking so important? Uh, Dallas Willard uh, says this, that uh, we have to pay attention to the fact that stepping into the kingdom is a gift. God's part and our part. 
God is faithful to take care of his part, and it's much like gravity. You couldn't walk without gravity, but if you wait on gravity to make you walk, you'll never walk. It's there, it's in process, and God is seeking those who would worship him in spirit and truth, and God is not indifferently sitting back waiting. He's active, he's in the world, and seeking is the key to understanding how to enter the kingdom of God and live there. But one of the problems that many Christians today have is that because we're Christians, we think we've found it and we stop seeking. Uh, but Willard says, seeking is the way we live. We never get beyond seeking. And it has many dimensions. One of the most important is that God wants to be wanted. He wants to be sought. And that's why he doesn't just run over us. He's there with a new birth from above. Uh, my second question about entering into this, this joy, this joyful celebration would be, are you trusting? One of the small exercises that I've learned recently to start implementing in my life is to actually replace the word faith, uh, even as I'm reading the scriptures and, and thinking about it in my own spiritual life, replace the word faith with the word trust. Uh, and I think mostly just because of the way that our society has used the word faith, it, it has lost some of that meaning of, of real action points. So, so much of this psalm and of David's renewed effort to bring the ark back into Jerusalem is dependent not only on seeking the Lord, but on really trusting him. And who really cares about the details of how the ark is carried and where it resides? Well, God does. And he asked Israel to trust him with that. <clears throat> And as David trusts in God with the small things, he sees them return. And so his confidence grows. And he remembers that all of the promises of God is fulfilled along the way. So at the end of the song, he's trusting in big things, saying, Cry out, save us, O God, of our salvation. Gather and rescue us from among the nations. Our confidence must come from our trust in the Lord. That's what it means to have faith. And it grows from small things to bigger things. Do you trust God in the day-to-day -day of your life? Do you have a prayer life that turns to him first when you have basic needs or fears? I know I struggle with that regularly. <clears throat> There's some in our congregation, I think, that have really lived into this kind of life. And, and, uh, and joy often emanates from their countenance because they've placed their confidence in God and they know that they have little, if anything, to really worry about in life. Richard Foster again says that the spirit of celebration will not be in us until we've learned to be careful for nothing, and we will never have a carefree indifference to things until we trust in God. And this is why the Jubilee of the Old Testament was such a crucial celebration uh, in the Old Testament, uh, that no one would dare celebrate the Jubilee unless they had deep trust in God's ability to provide for their needs. They wouldn't just give up their land, give up everything, come all together and redistribute um, that they had deep ability in God's, uh, deep trust in God's ability to provide, provide for their needs. And when we trust in God, we're free to rely entirely upon him to provide what we need. By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Prayer is the means by which we can move the arm of God, hence we can live in a spirit of carefree celebration. So finally, what, what grows out of seeking and trusting the Lord is really knowing him, truly knowing God. And it's in this space where the true joy and celebration come from in our lives, knowing who God is experientially uh, to the depth of our beings. And the psalm is filled with these commands to remember and to give thanks that all come out of that experience uh, of knowing God. 
Uh, and it's in this knowledge of God that we see Israel finds its true identity. I said early on, or at least in the, in the bulletin, that this message is about celebration and mission. So you might be asking, where's the mission tie-in to all of this? Uh, certainly there's no shortage of verses in the passage that speak on proclaiming the work of God to the nations. Let me read them again. Let the whole world know what he's done. Tell everyone about his wonderful deeds. Let the whole earth sing to the Lord. Each day proclaim the good news that he saves. Publish his glorious deeds among the nations. Tell everyone about the amazing things he does. O nations of the world, recognize the Lord. Recognize that the Lord is glorious and strong. Give to the Lord the glory he deserves. Bring your offering and come into his presence. Worship the Lord in all his holy splendor. Let the earth tremble before him. The world stands firm and cannot be shaken. Tell all the nations the Lord reigns. Let the sea and everything in it shout his praise. A few weeks ago, our brother Jora Mugari from Zimbabwe actually gave the first Missions Month sermon uh, and from this passage. Uh, and in it, uh, he, uh, towards the end of his sermon, he said, uh, we are called to bear witness to a God that we have known ourselves. So this is the tie-in. Uh, before you even consider your place in mission, uh, you have to question this, do you know God? And Joram said, America, where is your knowledge of God? Does the community around us know God? Uh, is this a God that you have experientially known? Uh, in other words, mission flows from an authentic life um, that we have in Christ. <coughs> this um, uh, past few, few weeks ago, uh, our mission agency, your Fellowship, we celebrated 40 years uh, of ministry, and we got to put a big celebration on in Nashville. So this theme of celebration is, is still kind of running uh, in my heart. We had over 300 people show up and, and over a dozen of our international partners, leaders, and mission uh, around the world that came together. And um, a little bit later, uh, when I conclude, you'll see a, a video that we showed. Hopefully, it'll give you a little bit of a taste of what it was like being uh, at, at, the, uh, at the actual event. But uh, within it, uh, I think we were challenged uh, on, uh, on this front as well, that uh, th this question about the the, the authentic uh, uh, nature of, of mission in the world. And it, for Frontier Fellowship, this is done uh, in partnership with all of our friends uh, around the world uh, as, as well. In, in particular, we're focused on the frontier of mission, those places where there is no church. There's, there's, a, there's a lack of any real presence yet uh, to uh, the witness of Christ. Uh, but we, after, the, after our big gathering and celebration of 40 years, we actually dared to ask this question, well, what really is the future of frontier mission? So the future of getting to these places. What, what else do we have left to do? Um, you know, with, with everything changing in the world, is the future, is frontier mission changing actively? And, and one of the quotes that I remember most was from Molly Wall, the co-director of the Operation World, who shared uh, at this, this Connecting Mission Leader Conference and she said, the future of Frontier Mission is a persecuted church loving a broken world. 
And I think that just really, for me, captures this sense of this, this life of authenticity that we live as a church. And, and more and more, we're experiencing it uh, in our own lives, the church that, that is becoming persecuted. And the question is, what do we do with that? Well, are we seeking the Lord? Are we trusting the Lord? Out of that is, what's flo- what, is what is flowing out of our lives, a, a real deep and authentic knowledge of the Lord that we then uh, bring into the world, bring to places uh, where people are still yet to hear about Christ. So this is the heart of our vision at Frontier Fellowship, and we go, we're trying to go farther, wider, and deeper in our, in our mission until all have had a chance to hear and respond to the love of Jesus. But I just want to leave, leave with the video uh, that you can hear a little bit more about what we do as an organization, kind of the, the inner workings of what, uh, what a mobilizing work looks like to actually engage a church, uh, get them onto the frontier, working with partners, and the impact that that has on the world. Uh, Flint, can you show the video? We met with Frontier Fellowship Partners. When we went to Egypt in 2002, we discovered that there were 25 indigenous missionaries being sent out to the various countries of the Middle East. Today, there's 300 Egyptian missionaries being sent out into the Middle East, and Fayez is at the center of all this movement. My hope and vision for the Egyptian church that uh, after being so blessed by uh, being on the receiving end of the mission work, there will be another wave and movement of mission and sending people from Egypt, blessing our community, blessing in Egypt and outside of Egypt. When I met Fayez, my first question was, is there any way the Frontier Fellowship Organization and all the individual churches that we represent come alongside you and partner with you in mutual support to enhance any of these efforts that you're making to support Egyptian missionaries in the Middle East. Frontier Fellowship has a great experience that we, we every time I meet with the leaders and the people coming with them, 
they never come with this imposing things. They come with just, what do you need? How can we help you? Our vision trip to Egypt really opened our eyes to missions on the frontier. When we got back from Egypt, the big question on our mind was, what is God trying to tell us in that experience? We were also hearing something from Dan. Uh, he was saying, what is the Holy Spirit prompting you? It only takes a spark to get a fire going. I believe Dan was a spark, was a spark that got our congregation interested in going deeper in mission. As a result of this partnership and the support we received from the Frontier Fellowship, we have seen so many uh, results and so many seeds and people coming to know the Lord in different places. The harvest is amazing. The harvest is great, it's plenty. It's the workers who are not enough. There is no time that we need uh, partnership more than this time. God is opening so many doors that we cannot do it alone. We need your friendship. We need your encouragement. We need the relationship. We need the support. We need you to be with us. Had Dan not come to our church, we would not have gone to Egypt. And had we not gone to Egypt, we would now be on this new path um, of changing our lives and being involved in Frontier Missions. After counsel from Dan and the people at Frontier Fellowship, uh, we joined their staff. Most places that we've uh, done some short-term mission work, the people of color were very, very underrepresented. I'm praying that we can make a difference in churches so that that becomes a normal thing for people of color to talk about, to understand, to educate their people, their young people especially, about mission and about the frontier so that they will have a yearning and a passion to try to share the good news in places that, and with people that would typically not hear that. And so I'm so excited to be a part of an organization that sees that as important. Frontier Fellowship meets people like Pamela and George Pendergrass in Hendersonville, Tennessee, and tells them about what Christ is doing in a place like Egypt or the Middle East, their minds are expanding, their souls and hearts are open to get involved with what Christ is doing in the world. And Baez and people like him, partners in the Middle East, when they hear that there are churches in the world that want to come alongside them and help them expand their efforts, they are so encouraged. And together, all of us as friends in the gospel, are helping those in the world who've never heard the good news before gain access and develop their own indigenous church and enjoy Christ's kingdom for the first time.
let me pray for us and then I'll call us into response. Let's pray. Um, Father, I thank you that your, your gospel is at work in the world, and I pray that you would, um, you would encourage us with the word we heard from Brad, that, that we would uh, be people that truly know you, um, that truly encounter you, um, so that we can be your witness. Um, and I pray that, that even as we become a, 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 a people um, that, that are part of a persecuted church, reaching out to a broken world, that we would trust you and and reach out to you in all that we are. So I, I thank you for this word. I thank you for the work of Frontier Fellowship, and I and I do pray that that your word would be known among all the nations. Um, and I pray that you would invite us to be part of this work. We pray this in Jesus' name.